the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Therefore, he killed him also. God killed Onan also. God's two for two with the sons of Judah. Again, I I can't stress this enough. If, If you're doing something you know displeases the Lord, repent of it. Turn from it. Forsake it. And turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't mess around with that stuff. Have you ever done something wrong by accident? We've all been there before. Maybe you accidentally went too fast on a road where a speed limit changed, or you parked in a no parking zone without looking for the sign. But in today's message, Pastor Dan will remind you that there's a clear difference between an accident and willful sin. If there's something in your life that you know is a sin against God, you need to ask for forgiveness and the strength to overcome whatever is hindering you. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Genesis chapter 38 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Then Judah, verse 6, took a wife for Ur, his firstborn son, and her name was Tamar. Notice Judah arranged the marriage for his son Ur. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. Tamar was also a, a Canaanite, so he, he's, he's living among the Canaanites. He's not up in the Judean mountains now. There's, there's, you know, there's, this is, he's just around Canaanites, so he picks Tamar. Verse 7, look at verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn son, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Now, we aren't told what Ur did that was so wicked, but he was wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and so the Lord killed him. God killed him because of his wickedness. God did. (laughs) God killed a man. Because of his wickedness. You know, sometimes God kills people. Because of their wickedness. Do you know that? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God is, is mean. The New Testament God is much, much nicer. The New Testament God wouldn't kill people for their wickedness. He's a God of love and grace and forgiveness. Listen, there's only one God. The Old Testament God and the New Testament God, they're the same God. And God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and and forever. And by the way, God does kill people in the New Testament too. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie about uh, what they've given to the Lord. 
They actually held back some. They're trying to appear more generous than they were. And God struck them dead for lying about what they were tithing or giving. He struck them down. And when God killed them, it says, great fear came upon the church. God's judgment on Ananias and Sapphira affected the behavior of others. Because people suddenly realized, hey, God kills people. Listen, listen to me. God judges wickedness. And sometimes God kills people because of their wickedness. Sometimes God says, okay, that's enough. We're we're done. We're done with this. He, He just kills them. And if you're here today, and you're living in some kind of habitual sin, and you're continuing in something that you know the Bible says is wrong. You're you're engaged in something that is wicked in God's eyes. I hope you take this verse very seriously. And understand that sometimes God kills people for their wickedness. And yes, God is a God of love and grace and forgiveness, but he's also holy and righteous. And sometimes he just kills a person who's practicing wickedness and refusing to repent and turn from it. He says, all right, you're you're done. We're, We're done with this game. And he kills them. And so after God kills Ur for his wickedness, verse 8, and Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. Now this was a custom in ancient times and it's still a custom In parts of Asia and Africa today, it may seem odd to some of us, but it's still practiced today in some cultures in the world where uh, when when a woman marries, uh, she marries into, in in the biblical times, she married into her husband's family. She would leave her father's household and she would go to live in the household of her husband with her husband's family And she became a permanent part of her husband's family. Uh, Jesus uses this um, analogy in John chapter 14 when he says, In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. He's he's describing a, a, a Jewish marriage where the the groom would build an addition on his father's house and then go get his bride, and the bride would go and live with her groom in the groom's house, with the groom's family. And that was the case. The, The bride would go live with her husband's family and become a permanent part of her husband's family. She was no longer part of her family. She would leave her family and go and cleave to her husband and his family. If her husband died before they had a son, the custom was the husband's brother would take her as his wife, have a child with her, a son, and the child would belong to his deceased brother and be considered the deceased brother's heir. And the purpose of this practice was to protect the young widow from destitution so that she had a son who could care for her and provide for her. Remember in the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, there is the widow of Nain who is 
going to bury her, it says her only son. So she's a widow, her husband's dead, and now her, her only son has died. That's a woman in crisis in the ancient world. She's got no way to provide for herself now. Remember, Jesus raises her, her son back to life. So, the, the, again, the purpose was to protect the widow from destitution by providing a son who can care for her and provide for her, and to protect her deceased husband's inheritance. Later, this practice became part of the law of Moses, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10, says, I'll just read it to you, if two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. She's to remain in her husband's family. Instead, her husband's brother should marry her and, uh, and fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law. The first son she bears to him will be considered the son of the dead brother, so that, here's why, his name will not be forgotten in Israel. But if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law by marrying me. The elders of the town will then summon him and talk with him. If he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her, listen to what it says. The widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. Then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children. Ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. Why does she pull her sandal off? Because he is not walking in what God has commanded him to do by not fulfilling this law. And she spits in his face because it's a disgrace. I don't, and I think in every culture, spitting in someone's face is a, is a disgrace. The brother of the deceased was obligated to marry his brother's widow and have a child with her. It was, it was a duty to his, his family. If he didn't do it, he was neglecting God's command. He disgraced his family, and this, this stigma would stick with his family forever. He was disgracing his deceased brother. He was essentially saying, I don't really care what happens to my brother's widowed wife. And, I, and I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really care if she's destitute. And I don't care about honoring my brother or carrying on his name. It's not important to me. And so it was, it was shameful, it was disgraceful not to go through with it. Uh, we see a couple of examples of this in, in the Bible. Uh, the best example of this, of course, would be the book of Ruth. Uh, if you remember in the book of Ruth, Na- Ruth, Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die. And Naomi has no other son, so all of the men in her family have have died. And so Naomi tells her two daughters-in-law, which one of them is Ruth, you know, return back to your parents' home. Because all the the men, there's nobody to provide for us. And and Ruth and the other daughter-in-law, Orpah, say to Naomi, we want to go with you. And listen to what she says. This is in Ruth chapter 1. Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? 
She's referring back to this practice. No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up? And Naomi says, I I don't have any other sons for you to marry. She's referring back to this practice. And she said, even if I got married tonight and had sons nine months from now, are you going to wait for them to be old enough for you to, to marry them? You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. And if you know the story of Ruth later on in the story in the book of Ruth, a Boaz is, is the nearest male relative who's willing to marry Ruth, the kinsman uh, redeemer. We also find an example of this referred to in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 22, when the Sadducees confronted Jesus with kind of an absurd question. They're trying to trap him theologically. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to 33, that same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead, and they posed this question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. That's Deuteronomy 25. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married... And this continues with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also, also dies. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. They don't believe in the resurrection. So this is just an absurd question. Jesus re- replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven, not married, But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, so now he says, since you brought up the resurrection, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died? God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not not the God of the dead. And it says, when the crowds heard this, they were astounded at his teaching. And then Jesus dropped the mic, right? Kind of thing. Boom. (laughs) So again, they're asking this hypothetical question about the resurrection based on this law in Deuteronomy 25. It's, known as, it's called a Leverite law, where the, the, the brother marries uh, the widow of his, his husband. And we see here in Genesis 38 that this, this practice actually predates the law of Moses. It was already a custom in the days of the patriarchs. And so verse 8 again, Judah tells his son Onan, go into your brother's wife, marry her, raise up an heir, to your brother, verse 9, but Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and so it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he omitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother, 
Look at verse 10. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. God killed Onan also. God's two for two with the sons of Judah. Again, I I can't stress this enough. If, If you're doing something you know displeases the Lord, repent of it. Turn from it. Forsake it. And turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't mess around with that stuff. Now why was God displeased with Onan? Why did God kill him? What did Onan do? Here's what he did that displeased the Lord. Onan was sleeping with Tamar. But he had no intention of fulfilling his responsibility. And having a child with her. So he's just sleeping with her. He's, he's just using her to serve himself. Onan wanted sex without responsibility. He wanted pleasure without responsibility. And this, this may be hard to believe, but there are some guys who will sleep with a girl with no intention of marrying her and having a family with her. They just, they just use her. And maybe that guy tells the girl he wants to marry her one day and have children with her one day. And maybe he says, I I love you. I want to spend my life with you. But he's just saying that. Doesn't really mean it. And listen, listen. That displeases God. And God killed Onan for that. And God is the same today as he was then. He hasn't changed his mind about sexual immorality. And if you are involved in sexual immorality of any kind, I hope you take this verse to heart. I hope you take this verse to heart. Now look at verse 11. So then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, hey, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brother's. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. It's interesting to me that Judah thought the issue was with Tamar and not his sons. That that Tamar must be the problem and not the morality of his own kids. She she must be putting poison in in, in their coffee or something. There's something she's doing that's killing my sons. And it can't be my son's fault. And, and verse 11 here is really the, a very important verse in the whole passage, in the whole chapter. What Judah says to Tamar in verse 11, uh, it, it sets off a whole bunch of alarms for us and a whole bunch of flags for two reasons, really. Number one, as I said earlier, when Tamar married Judah's son, she became part of Judah's family. She was no longer part of of her father's household. She was part of Judah's household. She left and cleft to Judah's household. And Judah, as the patriarch of his family, he was responsible for Tamar. He was responsible for her provision. He was responsible for her protection. Even though she's a widow now, she's still part of Judah's household and still Judah's responsibility. So when Judah tells Tamar to go live in her father's house, again, to us today, you know, yeah, sure, you move back home with your parents. It, it, it makes sense. But, uh, but when Judah tells Tamar to go live in her father's house, he's actually abandoning his responsibility to Tamar. 
She's not her father's responsibility anymore. She's Judah's responsibility. And so he's he's abandoning his responsibility to take care of Tamar. Secondly, the second thing that sets off alarms for us is he tells her to just remain a widow. (laughs) Until, he says, the third son, Sheila, is old enough to marry. But we know from the passage that Judah does not intend to give her in marriage to her last son, Sheila. He's just telling her this. He's, he's deceiving her. And so he says, you, you, just, you just remain a widow, but he has no intention of giving her to his last son. So she's going to just remain a widow for, forever. And again, as a widow, Tamar will not be able to provide for herself. She'll be destitute. She can't remarry because Judah told her to remain a widow. So, so Tamar here just kind of puts her in, lim- or, or Judah puts Tamar in limbo. And it's not until... Sheila is old enough for her to marry that Tamar realizes what Judah's true intentions are. So this is, verse, verse 11 is unbelievable that this guy would do this to Tamar. You know, this is, you know, to maybe kind of tie in an application for us today, uh, this, this is like a husband who just abandons his responsibility to his wife and kids. And, and makes no provision for them. You know, just, just leaves. And leaves them with nothing. You know, or, or, a, or a parent maybe who just puts a kid out that's not even an adult yet or something. You know, it just, it, it's mind-boggling that he would do this. And just, you know, he's, gonna, he's, just, he's just leaving her and handing her over to just a life of destitution. Putting her in a really tough spot. And so verse 12, now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted, meaning he mourned for his wife. And then he went up to his sheep shears in Timnah, and his friend Hira the Adulamite uh, was with him. Verse 13, it was told Tamar, saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. Verse 14, so she took off her widow's garments, she covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and she sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. So she waits uh, and remains a widow, expecting to marry Sheila. And time goes by, years, I suppose, go by until Sheila is old enough to, to marry. And she realizes now that Judah doesn't intend to give her to Sheila. And so she hears that he's going up to a place called Timnah uh, to shear his sheep. Now, sheep shearing time was, was like, it was like the one payday of the year for a shepherd. This is when the big windfall comes. This is what you've been waiting for all year. So it's a time of great celebration. And Tamar, again, she hears that her father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she dresses as a prostitute and waits for her father-in-law Judah along the roadside. She, she, again, she realizes Judah's not going to give her to her, his last son, Judah. She's a widow. She's got no provision for herself. Judah's neglect and abandonment has put Tamar in, the, in, in just dire circumstances. Now, that's not to say that she's justified in engaging in prostitution. But she thinks that this is her best option at this point. Because of what Judah has done to her.
He's put her in this situation. It's interesting that she knows her father-in-law is so morally bankrupt that he would visit a prostitute. Again, says a lot about Judas' character. He asked me how I know, and I say, brings truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Genesis. Although some might view Genesis simply as a historical account of genealogies, the undercurrent throughout this book entails a broader understanding of God's nature toward His people. You're introduced to God's care and concern for His creation, how sin stained what God had created, and what God intended to do to atone for the sin that overshadowed the world altogether. God's plan included a Savior that would envelop His creation in love and sacrifice that might seem incomprehensible to the average person. But God's ways are higher than anything that we as humans can understand. Yet He chose to come to our level anyway. That's a Creator God who's invested for the long haul. If anything about today's message has struck a chord with you, we'd like to talk with you. Please give us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. If you're not connected yet with a local church, we highly encourage you to find a church home that will help guide and support you in your growing faith. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Dan will have more to share from the book of Genesis next time, right here on Ring of Truth. Recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know his voice, and it only takes willingness and a conscious choice. You need not guess there's a thing of truth that is unmistakable, and knowing that you cannot find alone. And if you listen carefully, and sometimes even if you don't, you can hear the General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.